speaker for this morning. Our dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're, a, that you're a real God to start with. I thank you that you made the universe and therefore you know how to fix it. I thank you that you knew us before we were even born, which makes us intelligently designed, purpose-filled people who are brought into the world to fulfill a goal, a purpose, an intention. Thank you that we were designed for a relationship with you. Thank you that even though that relationship is marred by sin, broken by a violated covenant, you are the one who took the first step and you made it in our direction. And you are the one who uh, took the initiative, Lord, to rectify that. And here we are today because of your son who was willing to, to, to make the greatest sacrifice so that we would be restored to you. There are people here this morning, Lord, who are unwell. There are those who are mentally uh, unstable or unwell. There are those who are carrying hurts and pains and bitterness. There are those who are afraid of the future because of what they have experienced in the past. There are those who are doing great and they think there's never going to be a problem in life. But Father, wherever we are at, meet us at our point of, in our journey of faith with you. Wherever we're at, Lord, take us to the next level. Challenge us, move us. Don't allow us to stay where we are because growth is always movement. Growth is change. And Father, we are ready for it. We want you to bless this place. Thank you, Father, for speaking to us. The promise that you're going to speak to us, the promise that many more will come and be blessed. We ask your word and your voice to fill this place and allow your servant, the talent, the amazing talent to get out of the way and allow people to come face to face with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You have your notes? You have your notes? If you have your notes and you have uh, a pen, this is what it looks like. Grab it out and follow with me on the, on the screen, on your notes. And if you're online in your phone, then you've already got the online notes with you. Let's get started. All right, let's go. I'm only going to speak for two and a half hours, so just, just make yourself comfortable. All right. <clears throat> this series is called Daring Faith, the Key to Miracles. Daring faith, the key to miracles. We have been taught about miracles, taught wrongly about miracles, seen wrong examples of miracles, and it has, it's been a, become a joke in some circles. But we are going to be talking about daring faith, the keys to miracles. And I'm going to challenge you. Why? Because you're comforted. You're comforted. You're comfortable. You're comfortable in your walk. You're comfortable in where you are in your spiritual life. And I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to poke you. I'm going to prod you. This is a disclaimer. I'm telling you right away. I'm going to make you uncomfortable in this next few weeks. Sunday is not going to be a loving, you know, inspirational moment of, of great... Yeah, nah. I'm going to challenge your faith. I'm going to make you grow. I'm going to ask God to give me the words and the moods and the expressions to help you push you over the edge so that you actually fly. So that you actually fly. And great things await you on the other side of fear as you take that leap. And because we don't grow in comfort, because growth is uncomfortable, I'm going to ask God to give us that, uh, just that feel on Sunday mornings that you come relaxed, well slept, ready for God to speak to you. Not in a rush, not worried, not un, uh, you know, unkempt, not, not knowing what the next rest of the day is going to look like. You come organized, ready to be blessed. The result is going to be blessing. It's going to be maturity, answered prayer. So many wonderful things await us 
in this next 40 days and beyond as we started. Look at what the gospel says. Romans chapter 1 verse 17 says, the gospel shows us how. The gospel shows us how. It shows us how God makes people right with himself. He puts people back in a right standing with himself. And that it begins and ends. Underline this, circle this, highlight this. It begins and ends with faith. The gospel shows us how God makes people right with himself and that it begins and it ends with faith. It's all about faith. And we have understood faith, we have misunderstood faith and we really need to go back to the definition and to the experience of what faith is all about. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Impossible. That's good enough reason for us to gather for 40 days and talk about it. I mean, if it's that impossible, then we need to figure out how this thing works. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because anyone who comes to him must come approaching him in faith, must come believing, must come that believing that he exists and that he is also a rewarder of those who do make the trouble to look for him, earnestly seek him. God wants to reward those. God wants to make your search worthwhile. He wants to make your journey worthwhile. God wants to do that. Did you know that? Did you know that? Did you know that God loves it when you come looking for him? Did you know that God loves and wants to reward you for the effort you put into looking for him? He says, if you search for me with all your heart, you will be found by me. You will be found by me. It's like when we played games, when we were little kids and we played catching catch, right? And we were too eager to be found. So when we were hide and seek and I'd go and hide and somebody started looking for me, I would come out and I'm like, here I am, here I am. The whole game goes for a six. Because you're so eager to be, that's God. God wants, it's not a mystery. Spiritual life is not a mystery. Spiritual life is not something uh, unknown to be discovered, to be researched. It is not the prerogative of, of the high and mighty or the rich and famous or the deeply spiritual. It is for everyone. God wants to be found by you. So he says, I will reward you when you come looking for me. And the Bible says that the just will live by faith. Who are the just? The righteous, the ones who are in a right standing. They're going to live life based on faith. So faith is going to be my driving force. Faith is going to be my everyday. Come on, write this down if you will, in your notes. Faith is seeing from God's point of view. Faith is seeing from God's point of view. So much misunderstanding on what faith is all about. Faith is not a desire. Faith is not a desire. You know, I, I, I desire to have a, uh, you know, a, 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 a fantastic new car. And you know, because I desire it so much, I'm expressing my faith. That's, no, faith is not a desire. You can desire something tremendously, greatly, but it is not. You can sincerely crave something, but that is not faith. Faith isn't just pretending that something is true when it is not. You can't psych yourself up. And say something to be false so that hoping it becomes true by your faith. Faith is not that magical. Faith is not that ridiculous, unscientific. Faith is not saying, you know, I think it's, uh, it looks like butter to you, but I say it's chocolate. And you can keep believing that it is chocolate. It's never going to turn from butter to chocolate. It's still going to stay butter. That's just an example. You can stand in front of the mirror and say, I am thin, I am thin, I am thin. And believe it deep in your heart. Nothing changes. Tried it, doesn't work. 
It is not a desire. It is not pretension. Faith is not a feeling. Oh gosh, it is not a feeling. In fact, a lot of times faith is going to say to you, despite how you feel right now, Faith is going to say to you, despite how you feel right now, I want you to act in such a way. I want you to take the leap. I want you to say yes to her. Say, no, say yes to him. I want you to say yes to this challenge. Faith almost never plays with feelings, plays along with feelings. Faith is not a feeling. You say to yourself, I'm going to do the right thing in spite of my feelings. Faith is not bargaining with God. <laughs> Faith is not bargaining with God. God, if you do this, I'll do this for you. God, if you get me out of this, God, if you give me this girl, God, if you give me that job, God, if you get me, uh, I, then I will, I will. No, God is not going to stand there and bargain like a Sarojini Nagar shopkeeper. God is not a gambler. God is not a businessman. Let me throw in one last one. Faith is not nagging God. Faith is not nagging God. People say that the scripture says that if we are persistent, Keep asking, keep asking. God will eventually break down. God is not a husband. God is not, he's not going to break. If he says no, you need to take no for an answer. You need to learn how to take no for an answer. You can ask it 45 times, the answer is still going to be no. You know, try a visa appointment with the United States. A rejection is a, you do what you want. You get what I'm saying? So it's not nagging. Faith is not nagging. So this weekend, we're going to look at the fact that faith is seeing. Faith is the way of seeing. Faith is a way of looking at the world, at life, at how life unfolds for you from God's point of view. If you didn't hear that, I'm going to say it again till you hear it clearly. Underline it in your head with me. Faith is about looking at the world, life, and whatever from God's point of view. Seeing it from God's point of view. Faith is seeing God's view. It's another set of eyes. It's another vision. It's having God's perspective. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, it answers the question, what is faith? It says, faith is the confident assurance. I love that. Just underline that. Faith is the confident assurance that what we have or what we hope for is going to happen. Faith is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. Not might happen, not hopefully happen. It's going to happen. And to be certain, underline, of the things we do not see. To be certain of things we do not see. You see that? Faith is being certain of the things we do not see. So where you cannot see, where you cannot be sure, where you cannot feel it out, where you, cannot, you don't have visual evidence, faith takes over. Faith allows you to fly. Faith allows you to move. <coughs> it has to do with vision, but it has to do with eyes in your heart. You don't have any eyes in my heart. You should. That's what faith is. Faith is the way of seeing. Now you must agree with me that we know in our life experience that there are always two or three ways to see something. Right? For those of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about. There's always another way to see the same thing. Faith is always, always Seeing it from God's perspective, seeing God's vision, having God's vision. I want that for you. I want that for you. I want you to have two visions. A vision on the ground and a vision heaven down. I want you to be able to see life. 
See relationships. See the way life works out. Walls in front of you. Roads that part. Decisions that need to be made. I want you to see life from God's perspective. And God doesn't give that to any and everybody. That is faith. And faith is a gift. And faith is given to you. It's not your faith. Faith is always in the object. Faith is always in, con- in, in correlation to the object. God has to give you that faith. Just like you expect me to win your trust, God is the one who wins your trust. God is the one who establishes your trust. And I want that for you. I want each and every one of you to walk strong. Chati parke. I want you to walk through life knowing that whatever hits you is only for 60 to 70, 80 years. But what's waiting for you is a, is, a, is a reward for the way you saw life through his perspective. I want that for you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. It's a master verse on faith. It says this. I pray that, look at this, the eyes. The eyes. Circle that. I pray the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light. Just, start, just stop and look at it. You know English. You know English. You're smart people. You're educated. Look at it. Not at the guy. Look at the verse. Look at what it's saying. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be what? Will be flooded with light. What does that mean? English poetry? It means that you will be able to see. Light will enter your eyes and you'll be able to see. So first of all, you need eyes of faith. Second, you need the light of God's truth to hit those eyes of faith to be able to see what God and how God sees. So that you can circle see the wonderful future that God has promised to those he has called. Call is an audio thing. You can see what God has called. The Bible says everything is temporary. Physical life is temporary. Everything around us is, is limited. I can think you are stronger than me. I don't know. I think you can, you're near to me. I don't know. I can think I'm going to live for 100 years. I don't know. Everything is limited. Everything is uncertain. The only thing you can be certain about is what you can see through faith. I repeat. The only thing you can be certain about is what you can see through faith. Let me give you some examples. This seeing business is what you need to get into the next 40, day, 40 days. Some of you are going to fast for it. Some of you are going to fast and you're going to ask God for it. Some of you are going to spend time alone with the Lord, with the word. Some of you are going to spend time with other people who are stronger than faith. You know what? I've been hanging out with people who are really poor in faith. I want to, I, I, I want to hang out with you for a little while. You're going to choose wise decisions and make wise decisions to, be, to grow in your faith. You're going to get into this whole seeing business and you're going to ask God for vision. It takes faith to see what's in eternity, what's spiritual, what's the work of God. There was a story of Hagar and her son, Ishmael. Hagar was a, 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 you know, a, a servant or a slave to Abraham. And Hagar was kind of mixed up in this whole thing about the promised son. And since Sarah, Abraham's son, Abraham's wife, was not bearing a child... Abraham went to task on his own and decided to get a son through Hagar. And this son and this Hagar were were finally kicked out because Sarah was jealous. Things didn't work out. It wasn't God's way. This turned really bad. Hagar and her son are chucked out. And they are out there in the wilderness without food about to die. Hagar calls out to God in the middle of the desert and she goes, Lord, don't don't let me watch my child die. Lord, don't let me watch my child die. 
All of a sudden, it says, God opened her eyes. All of a sudden, it says, God opened her eyes. And she saw a well of water in the middle of the desert. She saw a well of water in the middle of the desert. Isn't that amazing? So Hagar is in the middle of the, of the desert there. God meets her. God opens her eyes. And she's able to see what God has in store. There's a well in the middle of a desert. In the book of 2 Kings... Chapter 6, there's another story of Elisha. He's a prophet of God and Gehazi, his servant, his man Friday, his, his, the, his assistant. So these two are there and they are in their, at their house, they're at their place. And then the armies from their, uh, from their enemies come and surround them. The armies from their enemies come and surround them and they are petrified. Gehazi is petrified. Elisha is a little bit more cool. He knows what's going on, but he's petrified. And basically, he's standing there. He's shivering like anything. And then Elisha says to God, God, this guy is scared. Open his eyes. Open his eyes that he can see. Gehazi, who was Elisha's servant, was getting very, very frightened and very, very upset. He prays, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. Gehazi's spiritual vision is opened up. And he says he could see a realm of angels circling the city of Jerusalem. So you've got Elisha, you've got Gehazi standing there. Gehazi, Gehazi, the servant, is really scared. And Elisha is confident, but he doesn't understand why Elisha is confident. And he sees all this army all around them, and they are about to attack them. But suddenly, God, uh, God opens his eyes, and he's able to see the armies of chariots, of angels all around them and behind them. And suddenly, his confidence is restored. This is not a magic trick. This is not just a lovely story. This is a situation where God wanted him to see. To see. Half of the lack of your confidence in your life, half of the mistakes you make in your life, half of the silly things we say in our life is because we lack the confidence to see what God can do on his own. What God can perform on his own. What God can pull through on his own. For us, us word, in our favor. That he's working for us and not against us. We think that just because people are working against us, God is also working against us. God is for us and not against us. God has not got a big finger pointed at you. God has not got a big finger pointing at you, constantly picking your mistakes. That may be your mom or your teachers or your boss or your mentors. But God is not God. God pointed his finger one time. One time God pointed his finger and it pointed at Jesus Christ on the cross. And God has never pointed his finger again. When Jesus took the hit, he took the complete hit. And God has never pointed his finger again at anyone else. The Lord opened the servant's eyes and he was able to see. Your life will be radically different when the eyes of your faith see more than the eyes of your head. Which is why when we pray, we close our eyes. There's symbolism there. It's not just to concentrate. There's symbolism. Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart. Genesis chapter 13 has another uh, story about how Abraham, he was struggling with God's promises. And God said, look at the stars. You see the stars? Your impact and your descendants are going to be like the stars. God wanted him to dream. God wanted him to see big things. I want to look at two things today, real quick. Two things today. When you see from the eyes of fear, what happens? And when you see from the eyes of faith, what happens? Just take notes like a good student and we'll be out of here. 
When you see from the eyes of faith, what happens? And when you see from the eyes of fear, what happens? A good example of this is found in the book of uh, Nehemiah, sorry, in the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and 14. It's a huge story, but I'm going to go over it real quick. Okay, and here's the background. Let me read this for you. Moses has led the nation of Israel to freedom. He's got them free from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They've crossed the Red Sea. Hey, hallelujah. Now they've reached a place called Kadesh. Kadesh. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. They've finally gotten to the place. They're about to enter. This is the land that God promised to their ancestors, to their forefathers. And they're about to enter. What's happening? What is happening over here? Joshua is now the new leader and he decides to send some spies in to do some due diligence, some cognizance. He decides to do some spy work. Let's go find out what's going on, some groundwork. So he sends how many people? Twelve. He sends twelve people, twelve spies into the land. They go, they come back with mixed reviews. They go and come back with mixed reviews. Ten of them say, you know, I don't know. Not going to work. I don't think so. And two of them... We can take them. So there's two with confident reviews, and there's 10 of them with negative reviews. Two saying, we can't do this. We can't go in. They're too strong. They're too mighty. They're too tall. And two of them saying, easy. We'll take them out. No problem. <laughs> Let me read some names out to you. Okay, and raise your hand if you've heard of these guys. Okay, you'll do that? Raise your hand if you've heard of these guys. Shafat. Anybody? No. Igal? Palti? Not the Satanikatan one. Gadiel? Anybody? Amiel? Setur? Nabi? Guel? Shamua? Caleb? Oh, 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 oh. Joshua, your critics will never be remembered. Those who come in with a bad report, those who come with a negative report are never going to be remembered. The ones who told you it can't be done will never be remembered. The ones who will be remembered are those who said, you know what, we can take it. In God's name, we can take it. We can take this guy, these guys out. The ones who trusted, the ones who showed faith, the ones who acted in faith are the ones who will be remembered. You will have lots of people in your life who will come in. And negative report is always the majority report. The negative report is always the majority report. Always it will be more people who say you can't do it than you can do it. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? Now when that happens, you know that they're seeing it with eyes of fear. Not eyes of faith. Number one, we exaggerate our difficulties when we look at it through eyes of faith. Write it down. We exaggerate our difficulties. So God has delivered them from Egypt. Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth at the time. The Pharaoh. Pharaoh has released them finally and he has delivered them from Egypt. And now they are afraid of some small tribe. Come on, people. What's going on over here? Somebody criticized you. Somebody criticized you back in 2015, back in 2003, and the more you think about it and the words just keep uh, swelling in your, swirling in your head, the more and more it becomes the majority review for you. The more you think about it, pretty soon the whole world you think is saying the same thing about you. One person said it. That person is probably dead and gone also, but you think that the whole world thinks the same of you. 
It grows by proportion. We exaggerate our difficulties. In Numbers chapter 13, verse 31 and 32, uh, he sends the spies, and the spies come back and say, they will crush us. They will crush us. Majority review. Almost always negative. They will crush us. Can I tell you a secret? That was two years, that was two years into the promised land. Two years into the 40 years of, of wandering, they came to this point. Kadesh Barne. And they rejected in, to act in faith. You're not getting me. You're not hearing this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive it home. How many years did they wander for? for? 40 years. But two years, 24 months into their journey, they reached Kadesh Barnea, which is the entry point to the promised land. Two years! And they came back with the report, we can't do it. 38 years later, they did enter the promised land. And you know what the people of the promise of the promised land said? The ones who were capt- captives, the ones who were there living over there, the ones who they were afraid of, the ones they said, they will crush us, they will crush us, they're too tall. See what they said. We have lived in panic for 40 years. Numbers chapter 13, verse 31 and 32. We have lived in panic for 40 years because we heard about the 10 plagues of Egypt on CNN. We heard about what God, your God, has done against the most powerful leader of the then world, Pharaoh. And we were scared to death and we were ready to surrender. Are you kidding me? So these morons are wandering in the wilderness because they're afraid of their height. They're afraid of the unknown. They are afraid to take the promised land because they don't know what's inside those walls. These guys are afraid of those morons who are going around in circles. And they were afraid all along. They said we were ready to surrender. Had you come and you acted in faith, you would have done it in two years. But instead you went wandering through life 40 years. And that's half a life. And some of you have lived half a life and your life has been wandering. Because you're just not willing to take that step and go get across the line and place your faith in what God has for you. We exaggerate our difficulties. We needlessly walk around the wilderness for 40 years because we are scared to death of the people of the unknown. We exaggerate our difficulties. Number two, write it down. We underestimate our own abilities. We underestimate our own abilities. He says in verse 13, he says, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. How's that for self-esteem? We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. That's wonderful, boss. And we look the same to them. Really? Who told you that? You haven't even spoken to them. How do you know what they think of you? We look the same to them. You know, there's a word for that in psychology. It's called projection. It's, pro- it's called projection. How do they know what the enemy thinks of them? How do they know what, how the enemy perceives them? You project your own fears on top of your enemy and give them an upper hand. You give them an upper hand and you project your own view of yourself. They were not enslaved by Pharaoh anymore, but they were sl- still enslaved by an idea. They were still enslaved by an image, by a self-concept. When you've been a slave for 400 years, you still think like a slave for a while. When you've been a slave of sin for so many years, to come out and be a victor, you need to change your mindset by the word of God. Hebrews chapter, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. You need to rethink, get, get God's mind in you. Pastor Jerry, he just comes and he says, we are all saints. We became saints. 
You know, he says we are all perfect in Christ. We are all flawless in Christ. And there's no, uh, nothing formed against us. There's no uh, finger against us. I don't feel like that. I feel judged and condemned every day. That's you, brother. That's you. That's you telling yourself. That's you getting on the throne. That's you sitting in the judge's seat. That's you playing all the roles in the court. When God has already declared not guilty. When God has already punished all the sin on Christ. That's you. That's on you. So let's stop for a minute. Because many, many years ago, somebody said something to you and you're still enslaved in that idea. Many years ago, you did something horrifically wrong or horrifically unfaithful and you're still stuck in that. Many months ago, you didn't keep your word. You failed. It's okay. It's okay. You need to get over it. You need to move on. Right, number three down, we get discouraged. We get discouraged. Then all the people, chapter 14, verse 1, then all the people began weeping aloud and they cried all night they cried. How's that for a pity party? Number four. Number three is we get discouraged. Number four is we start to gripe about all of our lives and everything that's going wrong in our life. So first, we are discouraged. Then we start griping about it. And we turn on God because of that. Verse 2, he says, Then they had an all-night pity party. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And they said, We wish we had died in Egypt. Bhai wow. We wish we had died in Egypt. Even here is fine. This is fine. Let's just lie down and die here. But it's better than what we... That, that grumbling, that murmuring, we start to gripe about all our lives. Number five, eyes of fear. We eventually get up and we, we give up and we blame God. <laughs> That's the easy part. Eventually we, we give up and we blame God. Numbers chapter 14 verse 3 says, Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to be killed? <laughs> really? Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to be killed with swords? We'd be better off going, to, going back to Egypt. We'd be better off going back to Egypt. Better off? Egypt? 400 years slavery? Really? Come on Israelites. Better off? Good old days, huh? What was the good old days? It was slavery. Listen to me carefully. I'm going to talk about you. It was 400 years of slavery. Why would anybody want to go back to Egypt? It was slavery. But it was safe. It was slavery, but it was safe. It was predictable. It was manageable. We had learned how to work with our slavery. It was safe slavery. And some of you are doing that. You're confusing slavery for safety. Safety and freedom are on the two opposites of a continuum. Either are you moving towards safety or are you moving towards freedom? And God has made you to be a risk taker. I don't mean jump out of a plane. God has made you to be a risk taker. God has made you with four eyes. Two of your own to see on the ground and two of his to be able to see what he has for you. God wants you to dream beyond what you can dream. And if at this moment you're thinking, oh God wants me to dream big. Uh, I want to become 
this and I want to buy this and I want to gain this. If it's about you getting anything and becoming anything, you didn't get the point here. Because you becoming something big is not a big dream. You becoming something big is not a big dream. Everybody else does that without God. You don't need God for you to be big. You need God for God to be big in your life. If you did it, you're just like anybody else. But when God does it, we call it a miracle. It's not about you. So even the big dreaming, the risk taking, the, 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 the demanding great things from God is not about you. It's not about your career and getting a beautiful girl to marry or any of that nonsense. It's about living your life in such a way that the impact and the fruit of your life lasts for eternity. And that your life matters to people for eternity. And God wants you to think big. God wants you to think about what others and God can do in your life other than it was what you could do in your life. We get discouraged. We start to gripe. We eventually give up and we blame God. Let's land this plane. Let's close. We're talking about what are the ways that we can see through faith. What are the ways we can see through faith? What happens when we see with eyes of faith? Here's six things. Number one, faith shrinks our problems. <clears throat> Write it down. Faith shrinks our problems. <clears throat> faith shrinks our problems. It's not my problem. It's not my problem. It's God's problem. The moment I have faith and I act in faith and I talk in faith, I walk in faith, my problem becomes God's problem. It's not an abdication of responsibility. It's not like, no. God will take it. God's grace. God's, no, nothing. There's a deliberate handing over. Lord, this was my problem, but I can't handle it. And even if I could handle it, I want you to take care of it. I want you to give me the solution to this area in my life, this problem in my life, this slavery in my life, this relationship in my life, this dream in my life, this uh, bondage in my life. I want you to take, I want you to solve the problem here. That's faith. Faith shrinks my problems. Genesis chapter 18 says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Luke chapter 1 says, for nothing is impossible with God. Write down a second one. Faith opens the door for a miracle. Faith opens the door for a miracle. Mark chapter 11 verse 22 and 24 says, have faith in God. If you have faith in God you don't, and you don't doubt, you can tell the mountain to get up and jump into the sea. And it would. Whatever you ask for in prayer will be yours if only you have faith. Now what on earth is Jesus talking about? If you have faith as much as mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, get up and move. Now, who on earth wants to move a mountain? So people take it, you know, just metaphorically and say, what is the mountain in your life? It's my wife. What is the mountain in your life? It's my boss. It's my husband. Okay, fine. We, you can take it metaphorically. Jesus is not talking about metaphors here. He's not even talking about actually moving a mountain. He's saying that mountain moving expects physical laws to be subservient to spiritual laws. Mountain moving proves that faith, the law of faith, trumps the law of science. The law of faith, there's a hierarchy, and the law of faith is greater than, more powerful than, the laws of physics, the laws of biology, the laws of gravity, etc., etc., there are laws that run the nation. There are laws that run the universe and, the, and all of creation. But the law of faith trumps that. What are we talking about? We're saying when we act in faith that God even circumvents the laws of nature. 
God even circumvents or speeds up the laws of nature in order to get what you're asking for done. God will even trump the laws of nature in order to give you what you have commanded, demanded, released, affected by the law of faith. Whether it's turning water into wine, that was a trumping of the laws of nature. Whether it's healing the sick or raising the dead, that was a trumping of the laws of nature. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about miracles. We're talking about miracles. I got admission in the college. That's not a miracle. That's not a miracle. I got visa. That's not a miracle. God providing basics in your thing is crumbs off the table, brother, sister. It's crumbs off the table. God's everyday blessing is for everyone. I'm going to say it again. God's everyday blessings is for everyone. The Bible says he reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. There is God's generic goodness to everybody. And God gives goodness, good things to everyone. Whether you are the child of a, of a Hitler or you're a child of a Mother Teresa, you, you, you get equal blessing. You get equal opportunities. You get, God, I know the world is unjust and people are unjust, but God's blessings are generically to everyone. When God goes to work in your life to do something amazing in your life and through your life, it's because you challenged him and you trusted him for something greater than his general goodness. God, you give this to everybody, but what I want from you is this. And when you ask God for you know, trusting him to do what only he can do in your life, that's when the miracle happens. Let's not, let's, let's not limit the word miracle. The word miracle is when you're awed by the fact that that could not have happened. There's no rational explanation. There's no scientific explanation. There's no way that could have happened except for God. Give glory to him. Give authority. Give power to him. Turn your life off. You want something in your life to happen that makes people and even makes yourself fall on your knees and say, Lord God, that was you. That was you. That was totally you. Isaiah fell to the ground and says, I was in the presence of the most holy God. I wanted to just die. David was like, take me back there. I need to be back there. I can't live without that power. Men of old, uh, powerful people of old, recognize the power of God. They saw miracles firsthand. What is your miracle? You got a coupon for some 10% discount at some big bazaar or something. That's your miracle. We have reduced miracles down to what even our bartender can do. Up the miracle quotient. Demand better from God. Demand what only God can do. Let's baffle some doctors. Let's baffle some scientists. Let's baffle the atheists. Let's baffle the people who declare with their mouths, their arrogant mouths, there is no God. Or I can do it on my own. Let's show a world that thinks they can do it on their own, that when God goes to work, you don't need to do it on your own. Come on, people. Faith opens the door for a miracle. Number three, faith moves God to act on my behalf. Faith moves God to act upon. According to your faith, it will be done for you. God says, you get to choose how much you want me to work in your life. You get to choose how much you want. So your life will reflect your faith. If you choose for God to do so much, he will do so much in your life. According to your faith. When we take God at his word, God shows us he's at work. When we take God at his word, God shows us he's at work. He proves to you he's at work. Now talk to me. If you constantly see a miracle here and there in your life, 
If you constantly got this invisible force moving, that's how people like to call, talk, call, call it, you know, invisible force, this invisible blessing, this luck, luck. When you see God moving and constantly going ahead of you, making things okay, your confidence starts soaring. Your confidence starts soaring. You believe that God is for you and not against you. And when you see God constantly at work around you, you also begin to activate and feel the presence of God. When you feel the presence of God, you are invincible. When we take God at his word, God shows us he's at work. Faith moves God to act on our behalf. Faith unlocks the promises of God. Faith unlocks the promises of God. The Bible says all his promises, that means there are many, all his promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Now imagine you got a, a letter that says to whoever has this letter in their hand, they are entitled to one lakh, ten lakh, ten kardo, ten lakh rupees. You got it? Everybody with me? I'm almost done. You got a letter in your hand and the letter says to anyone who has this letter in their hand, I, they are entitled to 10 lakh rupees. Okay? But you don't know who wrote the letter and you don't know where to get the offer. You don't know where to go to cash that offer. What is the point of the letter? You need to know the author. You need to know the author of that letter. And that author has to come clean, come, come clear, come uh, show up on his promises. If you don't know the author... The promises are useless. The name of the author is Jesus. And if you don't know Christ, all his promises are useless to you. You are not entitled to his promises. You are not entitled to him keeping his word. But when you know his promises, you know his name. Therefore, you are entitled to his promises. His name is Jesus. They are yes and amen in Christ. In Christ. So you can't just open the Bible, page 342. Yeah, promise mine. Mine. What do you think? There's some mazak? What about Jesus? What will you do with Christ? Faith turns God-given realities, God-given dreams into realities. God, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Glory, to be, glory be to God who by mighty power at work within us is able to do more than we, please underline this for your own sake. More than we ask or think. More than we dare to ask or think. Infinitely more than our highest prayers and desires, thoughts and hopes. God turns God-given, faith turns God-given dreams into reality. Lastly, number six, faith gives me power to hold on through tough times. Faith gives me the power to hold on through tough times. Apostle Paul says we are pressed on every side but by troubles, but we are not crushed, we are not broken. We are not crushed, we are not broken. We don't give up. We don't quit. We are attacked, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we are never knocked out. We get knocked down, but we are never knocked out. We get up and we keep going. Faith gives me power to hold on to tough times. Yes, this has been a long sermon, and I'm going to make it shorter in the days to come because we were trying to get everything sorted this today. But I want to begin with this challenge, this long, laborious challenge of you wanting to have those eyes, to be able to see. Without faith, you can't even get to know God. Even getting to know God is by faith. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him, believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting. Its faith begins in a relationship. It starts in a relationship because trust is most tested in a relationship. Is it not? 
Trust is most tested in a relationship. And Jesus says, unless you are born again, you will not see. You will not see the kingdom of God. Are you seeing miracles in your life? It's not because of how much faith you have. It's because of the absence of God in your life. Are you seeing what God is doing around you? Maybe, maybe not. It's not about the absence of your faith. It's about the absence of God in your life so that you can have faith in him. If there's no relationship, there's nothing to trust. If I don't know you, why should I trust you? So until you come up and show up in my life, I don't have a reason to test my trust in you. So first you have to start with a relationship with God. Then let's talk about your faith. Faith starts with a relationship. You can't see what God is doing behind the scenes. You can't see the miracles. You can't see the miraculous. You can't see the mighty things without God working in your life and opening your eyes to see it. Faith opens our eyes to be able to see what God is seeing. Because you, you, you don't know God personally and you have not been granted the eyes of faith. I'm going to say that again as I close. If you're not seeing the miracle, it's because God hasn't given you the eyes to see the miracle. To see the possibility of the miracle. To see the God who does the miracles. If he hasn't given you those eyes, it's because you have not trusted him in the relationship. So his deal comes after your deal. First you. First you. Start relationship. You got you to get right with God. You got to come to Christ and say, Lord, I believe that you sent Christ to write my check for me. You sent Christ to wash my sin for me. You sent Christ because his life is the only life that can pay for what nonsense I've done in my life. You sent Christ because Christ is the only one who can redeem me. So I place my faith in Christ as the only one who can redeem me, the only one who did redeem me, and the only one who's coming back for me, having redeemed me. People ask a stupid question in apologetics and other places. Is Jesus the only way? Is Christianity the only way? Stupid question. Let me explain why. It's because nobody else has offered it. Nobody else is offering it. If four people offer a free trip to, uh, to Switzerland, then one of them is true, three of them are false. But nobody else has offered you a way back to the Father. Nobody else has offered you complete and total forgiveness. Nobody else has offered. So when you say he's the only way, he's the only one. Chew on that. Come, let's stand. Thank you, Father, for getting through. Our bodies are tired, but our spirits are coming alive. <laughs> the Spirit of God is working in us, and we are beginning to feel God at work in our lives. We are stirred. We're physically tired, emotionally maybe, maybe depleted, but spiritually, Lord, we need to get on top of things. We want to be fed. We want to be live again. We want to, be, we want to see stuff and get excited about the unseen we want to live in the unseen realm. We want to see what, is, what everybody else isn't seeing. If we are your people, if we are people of miracles, if we are people of the spirit of God, if we have access to the spiritual realm, then we want to be living in that realm. We want to be living in the spirit. We want to be seeing things that normal people are not seeing. They're seeing burgers and cars and, 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 and certificates and, and, and accolades and, and trophies. We want to see the battle being won in the, in the spiritual realm. We want more. Oh God, we want more. We want more of you. We want more of your work. We want more of your word. We want more of people who want more of you. 
fill this church not with traditional Christians, not with namesake Christians, not with fake Christians, not with people who just want from you, but people who want you. Fill this church with people who want you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each and every one of us through this week and even forevermore. Hi, I'm Jeremy Dawson. And if you liked what you just saw, if it was a blessing, then hit the subscribe button. Come on, you can do it. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, hit the bell so that we know you want to hear from us. Lots of videos coming your way, songs, worship, encouragement. Come on, subscribe. Let's take this forward and share with somebody you might know. Write a comment in the section below. But let's see you guys again. Come on, subscribe. <laughs>